You are listening to From the Midwest to the Middle East, the latest on U.S. tax, Israeli economy, and lots of in-between. Interviewing Israeli and international experts. Chicago, Chicago. Welcome to our podcast. I am Philip Stein, president of Philip Stein & Associates. Good morning. I'm very happy to uh, have a, a special guest with me, Richard Kant, uh, who is from uh, Dizan Shira in China. Uh, this will be uh, an introduction for my listeners who are interested in doing business in China. And I think Richard is going to provide some very interesting and valuable information, as he has already done to, to me and my firm. But I'm willing today to share those, uh, that information with my listeners. Uh, Richard, just to give you some background, is the regional director of the Yangtze River Delta region for Dizan Shira and Associates. He is based in Shanghai. Richard guides foreign individuals and companies through the process of establishing, maintaining, and expanding their businesses in China. Prior to Design Share and Associates, Richard, an Australian lawyer and certified public accountant, worked in business and commercial consulting both in Australia and China for the past 20 years. He was also previously a partner at Ernst & Young Australia. Richard holds an LLB from the University of Adelaide and a Master of Laws from the University of Sydney. Uh, Richard, thank you for joining me today. Good morning, Philip, and thanks for that lovely introduction. I'm really excited to be able to uh, speak with you this morning and uh, give some helpful information to my, my clientele and sure. listeners. So let me, let me start with the first question. What would you say is the first thing a businessman or woman needs to know before they get on the plane for their first trip to China? Well, I suppose the first thing, um, Philip, is, uh, is that China is a very different place than I suppose um, the, the West or the, or, or the business world as we know it. It is uh, it's a very different approach to business. Um, I mean, it's very much a place that's open for business uh, these days, and, and uh, the West has been doing business with China for, for uh, certainly uh, for, for, the, for hundreds of years, but also more particularly for the last uh, you know last few decades in, in, a, in a very strong way. However, having said that, the, the, the Chinese do have a very different approach to business. So I think one of the, the more interesting uh, aspects, if people are, are looking to, to think, you know, for getting on their first trip coming here, is to don't expect it to be very similar. Uh, to to the West in many ways. I mean, uh, and then you know we we can talk about a few of the variations, but um, but it, but in that regard, the Chinese are very much open for business. Uh, they're they're interested in doing business. The place is booming, as we all know. Um, so I think the first thing you have to do is, is just put put a lot of that Western sensibility or Western business sensibility to one side and be prepared to to be a bit more open about how business is done. Okay, that's uh, that's very good advice. Having an open mind, uh, I think, helps in many in many spheres of of, of our lives. Um, what what's would you say is the best way for that business person to get his feet wet in the Chinese marketplace? Well, I think the the the, the best way, and maybe uh, is to visit. I mean, a lot of people try and you know try and think, try and do business with China from afar. Uh, people like to, to, to have the idea of, of sourcing products there or selling their products into China or doing a, uh, a deal with, with a Chinese company. You can't really understand how, how things are done here without coming here. Um, it's one of the most fascinating places. It's not, not, not high on the list of a lot of uh, people's travel plans, uh, but, but I think the first thing you have to do is probably, if you're going to do business in a, in a serious way or engage with China, 
in a serious way is actually visit the place. And I mean, and, and for some people that, 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 that's a little bit difficult, but, um, there's, you know, it doesn't, you can read a lot of literature on this, you can talk to a lot of advisors maybe in, 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 in your home country, uh, particularly in the States, particularly in Europe, particularly in Israel, but it does nothing substitutes for actually physically being here and seeing what's actually happening. I mean, although people have got uh, a good idea in their mind uh, from business press and from their own investigations as to what's happening here, it really, people still get very surprised when they come and they go, well, I had no idea it was like this, or I had no idea. Um, so I think you know, the, the best thing is, if you can possibly do it, is to come and actually visit. All right, that's a great, I think that's great advice. And let's say that person uh, takes your advice, get, gets off the plane, uh, starts you know, uh, speaking with some counterparts. Who are the essential advisors that one needs when doing business in China, if they've got, you know, get to a point where they see there are some opportunities that they can... Uh, Take advantage of. Well, I, th I think I think the, 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 yes. There's a couple of angles, and it really depends upon uh, the the different business models people are investigating with China. I mean, uh, I mean, and, and, and there are a couple of well-worn business models. I suppose one is sourcing products from China, which is also, which is of course, China is the the world's manufacturing base these days. So a lot of a lot of Western companies are sourcing a lot of product out of China to sell in their home countries or to sell around the world. The other business models may be even you know, selling your own products into China, products or services. This is becoming very popular at the moment um, as the, the Chinese economy grows bigger, as the Chinese middle class grows bigger, as Chinese domestic consumption grows bigger. The, um, the, uh, the avenue of, of delivering products and services into China by, by foreign company, companies is also rising. So a lot of these you know, different models are available, and, and that really depends upon advisors. I mean, you know, one of the greatest starting points, I think, is, is, is advisors, you know, your trusted advisors in your home country, uh, whether they be your, 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 maybe your, your legal advisors or your tax advisors, who have who've got existing clients who are operating in, in China. That's always a great source. I mean, some of the, uh, the, 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 the chambers, the chambers of commerce, I mean, the, uh, the, uh, US, uh, US or US China chambers of commerce, the Israel China chambers of commerce, always have a lot of interested people who know what's going on there, who have been operating. Uh, who are operating for many years in China. So that's for people who are really outside of China. I mean, if you want to really come come in there and open a business up, um, there are um, there are a lot of um, you know uh, uh, China advisors who can uh, you know give market entry advice, who can give uh, uh, product selection advice, and also can give legal and tax advice. I mean, it isn't a particularly easy place to do business. Um, uh, China generally rates fairly low down the. The, the list of, of places to do business, where, you know, whereas, for example, Hong Kong or Singapore might rate number one or two in the easiest place to do business in the world, China consistently rates about 80, 90, around that there. So there's a lot of you know, issues to look at, and I think we can talk about a little bit about this later. So I think you know, there is not only advisors in your own home country that have got China experience, but also a range of people who can assist uh, that are situated and that have been doing business in China for a long time. Okay, so that, that, that's very interesting. Assuming someone get, you know, gets through the getting his feet wet stage, uh, 
get get some good advice, uh, reaches the conclusion that it's time to set up some type of uh, branch or subsidiary in China. What what do you find are usually the challenges of of actually establishing some uh, extension of the the foreigners or the Westerners' current business? I suppose it's it's quite a different prop. China is quite a different proposition than a lot of of uh, I suppose more developed countries, whether you might be in Europe or US or or Israel. I mean, basically in those countries, anyone really has a right to go and set up a branch or set up a subsidiary in in that country and commence business. It's usually a very simple process. It usually takes uh, not not that long to do it, and it, you know often takes very little capital. China, and it's almost like you have a right to do that. China approaches it in a bit of a different way. Um, it, it, most foreigners do not have a right uh, to set up a company here or a branch. It's a privilege, a privilege that's extended, and uh, one that, that 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 is not particularly uh, easy to do. Um, the, there's only three ways uh, foreigners can really do business in China. Um, one is to set up a partnership with a Chinese company, or a joint venture as we call it, which has its own issues, uh, which, which could be the subject of another, of another, of another podcast, and we shan't talk about it too much now. So setting up a joint venture, or setting up a subsidiary, or setting up what we call a representative office. The, the setting up a re representative office is probably the easiest way to get a toehold or, or basically have a look-see China. It doesn't require any capital. It can be done quite simply. Um, so a lot of people do that for their first, you know, to, to have a look at China, to see whether uh, China's right for them, to see whether there's a, a cultural fit, to see whether there's a market for their products, to see whether, you know, it's worth spending some time and money there. So it's a very popular way of setting up uh, initially representative office. The big problem with the representative office is you can't carry on any kind of business. Uh, you can only be a sort of a passive uh, market research, customer relationship role. So it is very limited in what it can do. So the next, the only third way you can carry on business in China is to set up a subsidiary. Um, we call this, we have a special acronym for it, uh, WUFI, you people may have heard of, a wholly foreign-owned enterprise, WUFI. Um, that really is the only way a, a foreigner can actually set up a, a, a proper legally separate entity in, in, in China. That in itself is not particularly uh, easy. Uh, it can take a long time. It takes quite a bit of capital. Um, there also is a lot of restrictions on exactly what you can do in, in that kind of entity. Um, having said that, though, there are literally tens of thousands of foreigners that have set up subsidiaries in China and are continuing to do so. And you know, so I suppose what the, the issue is, yes, it might be difficult, but people are still doing it. Uh, we can, you know, and, and maybe in another time we could talk about exactly how one goes about it, what kind of levels of capital the Chinese require, uh, and how much time it takes to do that. But um, but there are, you know, there are challenges involved in setting up a subsidiary. Um, but but then again, I mean, you know, if the business model works and if the business plan works, you know, it makes sense to do so. So so taking that into account and, and going back to my previous question, is there some is there a profession or is there a professional service uh, that that sort of handholds the foreign business person to to let's say navigate through the government uh, government offices is that usually mm -hmm. ha handled by an attorney or an accountant mm -hmm. or or someone else it's it, 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 it's actually quite a quite an involved process i mean for example if you wanted to set up let's say 
a, a manufacturing company in China which can manufacture goods, whether for export to a home country or, or for sale in China. It can take up to tw six months to, uh, to set up that company, to, to go through the maze of bureaucracy and the maze of paperwork. Of course, these things all have to be done in Chinese. Um, so you need to, uh, to have at least uh, people that on the ground that understand uh, you know, uh, Chinese. I mean, it, it's best, and, and most people would use a um, either a law firm or, uh, or or a consultancy like 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 ourselves. And that is a, a series of um, that uh, you know, people that are specialists in that area. It would be very difficult for a foreign business which has got no links or has no connections with China to actually be able to navigate the the, the maze and to get the paperwork right uh, and so forth. So it, it is involved, it does take time, and you have to use experts to do it. Okay, so if doing business, as you called it, is, do, is a privilege, uh, how about coming to China or spending some time in China exploring? Are there, are there visa issues that, that the business, a business person needs to know about? Yes, there are. I mean, um, again, um, it's, uh, China does not have uh, easy visa arrangements with, with mo for most countries. Um, you've got to, there's basically only three ways foreigners can, can enter China. Um, one is on a tourist visa. Tourist visa is fairly simple to get. You've got to apply for it. Maybe a lot of your listeners have had to spend some time in China, and uh, you know usually you can get a 14-day or, or a 30-day tourist visa, which will, which will be no problem whatsoever. So, so as a, to come and have a look as a tourist is not a problem at all. There are also one the only way you can work in China, legally live here and work, is 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 with a working visa, and that's quite difficult to get. Um, the only way you can get a working visa um, is to basically have a contract, a working contract with a Chinese company. Um, there are also other restrictions. The government make, doesn't make it that easy for people to come and live permanently here and get and get working and, and work here. Uh, part of the, the issue is, um, I think there is a there's an old an old distrust of foreigners uh, in, in China. It's not a particularly uh, open country in that sense. I mean, you, you, when you compare it to um, other major international cities and, and countries in the world, like the U.S. or or Europe or so forth, which are very multicultural and have very large foreign populations, China's not like that. Uh, so, in a place like Shanghai, which has a population of about 20 million people. Uh, and which is a major international financial and commercial city, you only have a, a foreign population here of under 400,000 people, which is a, you know, a, you know, a sm very small percentage. And, and that's, that's the people that are living here legally. Um, so it's very difficult to get a working visa. Uh, the, only, the third way of, of coming into China is what we call business visas, and a lot of businessmen do use these, these visas to come and go. And what that entitles you to do it's basically come in and out of the country where they're looking at new business opportunities or checking on, on uh, your existing business or so. But you, theoretically, you're not allowed to stay here for a long time. So you, you come in, you come, go, you come and go, um, and basically the, the most you can ever stay here at one time is one month. Uh, you, then you have to leave again and then maybe come back in again. The other restriction with a, with a business visa is that you are theoretically not allowed to work when you're here. Um, so you can't really earn any money and you can't really have a job in that sense. Uh, so there are restrictions. We always think that maybe the Chinese government will make it a bit easier uh, for foreigners to come and go and, and live in China, but, but in fact what the opposite's happening at the moment, and in fact they're tightening up and making it a bit more, a bit mm -hmm. bit more difficult at the moment. 
for, for people to, particularly if people want to spend quite a bit of time here developing their business or developing business relationships. So uh, hopefully in the, in the future it will become a bit easier, but at the moment it's still a bit difficult. All right, let me, I, I know this this next question is, is kind of general, but uh, what, what's, and, uh, you know, you've, you've laid out some of the problems, the restrictions, the, the differences, but what would you say to someone who's, who's looking east to China? Uh, what makes doing business in China attractive? Well, I suppose there is that the, the, at the moment. There is. I mean, of course, in in the past, uh, China was a the model of China was a low value manufacturing model. You could source products here very cheaply, and then maybe you know sell them in 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 foreign markets at a at a substantial markup. You could manufacture products here a lot lot cheaply and then sell those products in the West or other other foreign markets for for a great markup. So there was great profit there. That model is somewhat diminished now, as as most of your your listeners will know, because of the rising costs in China, Um, uh, rising labor costs, rising raw material costs, inflation, have really really, pushed down those margins. And and although still China is the the, the factory of the world, that the the the, the success of that model is, is now is now not not as strong as it used to be. However, at the same time, we have a new model emerging in China, and that's what and this is partly part of the government's re- re- recalibrating of the Chinese economy. Uh, they they realise quite rightly that they can't sustain this, the growth of this country on a pure low-value manufacturing model. So they're basically trying to recalibrate this into a domestic consumption model. And what the everything in China is all about now is Chinese buying products. So it's all about selling to the Chinese. So what is the most attractive aspect and what we're seeing in our practice, uh, most of our foreign uh, clients are coming in not so much to take take part in the low value manufacturing model but now trying to sell products to the Chinese. So whether those products are manufactured uh, offshore and brought into China and sold to the Chinese or whether those products are manufactured in China they're now, they're now, they're now rather than being exported they're being sold to the Chinese. So it's probably that this is now one of the, this is one of the greatest consumption boom is going on at the moment. I mean, the the figures are quite extraordinary. I mean, at the moment, there's probably a a middle class in China of between 200 to 300 million. They expect that to grow uh, within the next 10 years to maybe 600 million. So you have 600 million middle class customers with spare money looking to buy products. Uh, And this is probably the most attractive aspect of China at the moment, the growth, the consumption. In many ways, it's one of the only growth markets in the world. And this is, I think most people would agree that for the next five years at least, this will be sustained. Uh, We're looking at about 8% growth uh, for 2013. And I think most people are thinking that this 8% will be sustained for at least the next five years. And that represents a great opportunity for Western businesses uh, particularly as there's low growth in other in other developed markets in the world, in Europe, and in um and in the States. So I think that that's probably the most attractive aspect of, of business at the moment. Well, certainly what we're seeing from our clients. Well, thinking of one of my listeners who is who's uh, following this podcast says, "Wow." I have an idea. This is the time has come. Based on what I heard in, in Rich from Richard Kant, there's there's an excellent opportunity to sell some product. They come to China. 
you help them set themselves up, they are successful. So then the question comes, and I, I call it, let's say, the end game. Yeah. Uh, there's been talk about, there I've heard about currency restrictions uh, when you want to repatriate funds. Is that a fact or is that a myth? Or is that something being loosened up? It's one of these big, big issues. I mean, people, you, you, you hear often, and Philip, you'd have clients, and I have clients that keep saying it, you know, you get, you know, it's easy to get your money into China, but trying to get your money out is, is, is almost impossible. That's not quite true. Um, there are currency restrictions, and, and China is one of the only countries left in the world which uh, has, has, has strict conditions on money going both in and money coming out uh, of the country. Um, they are loosening to some extent, and there is a lot of talk about uh, that these currency restrictions will be will be lifted over the next, you know, in the near future. However, at the moment, they still they still exist. I mean, theoretically, uh, there are restrictions on every bit of money going into China and every bit of money coming out of China. What this means is, is that in order to in, in order to invest in China, you've actually got to go through quite a long process to demonstrate to the Chinese authorities that the foreign capital that you're bringing in is going to be used for specific projects. Similarly. If you, your project is successful and you make profit, you've got to go through a, a procedure to get the money back out again. But it's not as difficult. I mean, there, there's a well-worn procedure. Uh, basically, if you you, uh, you make profit in your subsidiary in China, uh, you pay your tax, and uh, you know it's, it's very similar to, to any other any other developed uh, revenue nation. Uh, it's a 25% tax rate here based upon your net profit. Once you've paid your tax, you have profits available for distribution, and you are allowed to distribute those profits back to home country. You have to go through a procedure. Uh, in you have to pay withholding tax, uh, and that the withholding tax rate does change depending upon where the uh, where the home country is, as it were, depending upon whether China has a double tax treaty with that particular country. But as you can imagine, Philip, literally billions of dollars every year is made in profit by foreign companies in China and is distributed back uh, out of China. So it's a well-worn path. Um, what we see, though, is particularly for more developing businesses, um, small, uh, SME businesses or middle market, is that once they make an investment into uh, China, they tend not to want to repatriate their, their profit. They tend to uh, reinvest it back into the business uh, because there are so many new business opportunities in China uh, because the businesses are growing. People tend to basically reinvest back into China. Um, so we don't, you know, you, you're certainly a more mature business with a, with a, with a, with a steady income and steady profit uh, scheme. We'll, we'll be able to send their money back if need be. Um, but however, what we're seeing is people reinvesting. And in fact, if you look at the, the big MNCs also, they tend to be reinvesting a lot of their profit back into growth, back into China. So, yeah, I mean, you know, it, 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 it is not, you know, it's not simple to sit, because of the currency controls, it's not simple to get your money out, but there are well-worn paths to do it. As long as you, you, you follow those paths, then you can get your money out. All right, that, that's very encouraging. So, so as we come to the end of uh, what I hope to be one of several podcasts we do with you, because obviously we're just scratching the surface, uh, I'd like you to tell my listeners about your firm, Design Shira. Interestingly enough, Richard, the word Shira 
in in uh, in Hebrew means song. <laughs> so I, I I don't think that's where it comes from. But uh, I'm sure my listeners would like to know from at least where the name comes from and, and something about your firm. We're 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 aware that the uh, the name Shira does actually have that meaning in Hebrew. Unfortunately, I wish we could say we thought of that. The the, the name actually comes from. Uh, uh, the founder of our firm. The founder of our firm is an Englishman, and his name is uh, Chris Devonshire Ellis. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Chinese found it very difficult to say Devonshire Ellis, so it became Dezan Shira. Uh, <laughs> that's the uh, the origin of the name. But that happened twenty years ago. We um, the, the firm has just celebrated its twentieth uh, birthday in China. Uh, it started with um, one gentleman in in in, uh, in Shenzhen, which is down near Hong Kong, uh, twenty years ago. Um, and we've grown quite enormously. We've now got uh, 13 offices across China, uh, and we have uh, a very, very, you know, about a thousand clients uh, operating in, uh, in in China. We, we only we only assist uh, foreign companies uh, who work um, in China. Um, we also have operations in India uh, and also Vietnam, Hong Kong, and Singapore. So we're very committed to Asia. We are generally, as I said, only serve foreign companies that are entering those markets. We mainly deal with the uh, the middle market or the small small to medium enterprises, um, and we're we're a multidisciplinary firm. We um we are we're a business consultancy, so we we not only do the legal side of things, the setting up the companies, the setting up of the the partnerships, the setting up of the joint ventures, uh, but we also do the accounting and the tax and the payroll also. So we we sort of cover most things that smaller businesses would require when they're when they're venturing into new new territories. Um, and you know, and we're sort of we're quite proud of that. We've, we've not only helped people set up, but ten years later, we're still helping them buy new businesses or expand into China. So we're very um, very bullish about about the the future, uh, both in China and in Asia. So we're expanding enormously up here, and uh, and we we're seeing a big influx of, of new businesses coming in from both both uh, U.S. and Europe and uh, Israel and the Middle East. So we think it's an exciting time in China at the moment. All right, so in, tor- in, t- in, a- in order to reach you or, or to your firm, the website is www.dezshira.com. And uh, in, in terms of an a entry point or a person to contact, would it be someone in, in, in a certain office or, uh, you know, as they say, what comes first, chicken or the egg? <laughs> right, Region they're interested in, or or would do you have a general, at least a place to make initial contact? Certainly, I mean we have we have a number of offices across China, a number of people. I, I think you know you know uh, prob- probably as, as as an entry point you could um, use myself, Richard dot Cant at Deshira dot com. Um, uh, and you know it's easy. We've also, as you, you, some of the listeners might know, we 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 have a publishing company also, which is ChinaBriefing dot com, um, and that gives a lot of information and uh, and so forth. I mean, you, you, usually to get in contact if you have an interest in Beijing or Shanghai, uh, we have you know any kind of uh, email address, like Shanghai at Deshira dot com, can also come through. But um. But uh, yeah, I mean, if you what people get to our website, they could get in contact with us. All right, Richard, I, I appreciate the time you took today, and uh, we really look forward to speaking to you again because I think my listeners, uh, I'm actually reaching out to them if there's any subtopic that we've covered, uh, a general topic. I think uh, there's a lot about taxes, export, import, uh, licenses, etc. that uh, these are all services that you could help my clientele with. 
And I know that our two firms are, 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 are planning to hopefully do temp some type of seminar in the spring. So we hope to, to get the word out on that. And again, I thank you for your time today. Thank you, Philip. It's been a pleasure. I'm more than happy to, uh, to answer any questions of the listeners. And, uh, and hopefully we can, uh, as I said, you know, our collaboration, particularly with some seminars later this year, uh, on these issues will, uh, will, will come to fruition. But, uh, I look forward to speaking to you again. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed our podcast. Feel free to visit us at www.peacestein.com or look for Philip Stein Associates on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Goodbye.